This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. I just had the thought that after all this time of... to go dead again? No? Is it loud enough? Yes. Yeah? Okay. I just had the thought that after all these years of practice that um, I'm no longer dismayed, intimidated when things go wrong. It's actually sort of come to expect them to go wrong. <laughs> this is an impermanent existence. Uh, batteries do go flat. Um, what I'm going to talk about this evening is the path to wholeness, which is the title I gave the workshop that I'm teaching here. Um, and I find it interesting and, and challenging to um, rephrase Buddhist terms, you know? Uh, in, in their origin, they're in Pali or Sanskrit, and then in the heritage of Zen, they're in uh, Japanese, this being a derivative of Chinese Zen to Japan and then to the United States. And often the, the terms that are there in the Pali and the Sanskrit, they have arisen in the context of practice. And, and so it's not so easy to take a term and find a singular English word that matches it. And then sometimes we do have words, like the word wholeness, you know, um, wholesome, wholehearted, to make whole. Um, they, they convey for us, you know. Just think about it for a moment, wholehearted. captures for us a, a particular kind of involvement, you know? wholesome, similar, and yet quite different. It has a, um, implies a certain kind of ethical um, character to it, um, not moral, but ethical. It's a wholesome activity. Not quite putting it, calibrating it in terms of good or bad, but wholesome. Um, so that was part of what attracted me to that title. notion of ethical and not moral. Um, most of us have grew up in a you know, Christian Judaic system that did have implicit structure of good and evil. Um, and many of us uh, find it didn't encompass 
our disposition, our beliefs. And for many of us, that's why we ended up here. Um, and I don't mean to say that the Judaic Christian, Christian system is singularly held in and good and evil. Uh, I don't think it is. But it is prevalent. And um, the challenge for us as we engage a new form of spiritual practice, Zen being the one I'm talking about right now, um, that we don't, without even recognizing it, put it into the context of a system that it didn't arise from. Zen didn't arise from a system of good and evil. It, it arose from um, a system of wholehearted, wholesome, to make whole. Yeah. Even the word purify is a, a famous uh, Zen or Buddhist text called The Path of Purification which can readily seem to fit within purified is good, impure is evil. Um, but with, within the Buddhist system, pure is when it's completely itself. Like pure gold, it's completely itself. The aspiration of the path of purity, purity, to be completely what is, as a person, as a moment of non-separation, as as a sense of openness and connection, as a disposition of generosity and compassion. Um, And then, how does that sensibility get conveyed? How do you convey that in a weekend workshop in the Ventana wilderness? <coughs> um, well, perhaps, unfortunately, I conveyed it with a lot of words, and we spent a lot of time inside a room and not outside in the wilderness. Um, but that being as it is, um, I was just reflecting before I came over to give the talk. Um, we had meditation. We had um, mindful stretching. We had dyads. We had group discussions. We had writing exercises, um, and probably something else or some things else that I'm missing right now. Um, and I was thinking, how interesting uh, what we're accumulating as the methodology, as the what evokes the path of practice in this context 
I don't think in medieval Japan they did dyads of repeated questions. Maybe they did, <laughs> but I don't think so. Or poetry. I left out the poetry. I did think they have poetry. And yet, the intention is exactly the same. To realize something fundamental about our human existence. To, to address the very same dilemma that Shakyamuni was determined to address when he saw old age, sickness and death. That hasn't changed at all. That core intention is still there. Um, in some ways, we could say, Shakyamuni's practice was the path of wholeness. Maybe he didn't take it to a workshop at Tassahara, but it was still his path. Um, And as such, you know, the, the aspiration of our Zen practice is that in its essence, it's formless. It's not held within a particular context or a particular methodology or even a particular set of ideas. It goes beyond all of those and all of those can express it. Our intention and aspiration is still to align and manifest what Shakyamuni was proposing. And yet, to make it contextual and accessible in the lives we're living. No? Hopefully dyads, poetry, group discussion, and the like, and writing exercises, um, offer access to the very same practice and realization that Chakyamuni Buddha was engaged in, and Bodhidharma, and Ehe Dogen, and Suzuki Roshi and all the great saints and teachers in between and beyond. Um, so, with that in mind, I offer you my words on the subject. Um, and talking about poetry, here's a poet, poem by Rukke. Whoever grasps, whoever grasps the thousand contradictions of their life, pulls them together into a single image. That person joyfully and thankfully drives the rioters out of the palace, becomes celebratory 
in a different way. And presence is the guest that is received on quiet evenings. Presence is his own solitude, the tranquil center of talking with himself. And every circle he draws around presence lifts some out of time on its compass legs. Whoever grasps a thousand contradictions of their life pulls them together into a single image. Um, an elemental component of our practice is integration. Um, the, the, the mind's tendency to create separation, self and other, a separate, independent being, um, belies the interconnectedness of our existence. Sometimes in workshops, we write independent from each other on the same topic, often a very intimate topic, what would you do with your wild and precious life? And, and when I die, I want to say, to let that, the gravity of that existential question draw you down into wholehearted expression. And then as you listen to discover that the images and language and admonitions and aspirations that came up for someone else could just as easily have come out of your heart, could just as easily be wholeheartedly expressed by you, um, that we experience in that sharing interconnectedness. Yeah. The, the, this is a shared dilemma and a shared challenge and a shared adventure, this human life. Each of us on the journey from birth to death. Each of us held sway by, um, as Maslow would put it, Maslow would put it the hierarchy of needs, you know, from our basic survival to our sense of safety and security, to our sense of belonging and love and intimacy, to self-expression. For some, as Maslow in his day would put it, self-realization self-actualization. Even as it takes context now for us, um, when we touch the heart of the matter, um, 
we touch our interconnectedness and we touch a common expression. We, we touch what is important for us as human beings. It, it's, a, um, it's a gravitational pull towards interconnected existence. It's a, gravita- a gravitational pull towards integration. And then as Rilke says, this, the thousand contradictions that each of us, in hearing it expressed a certain way, will say, yes, this is important in life. This is something I value and in my own way carry forth as my calling for this life. And then each of us contradicts it a thousand ways. the last piece of dessert at the dining room table. Mm. I want it. <laughs> For me. <laughs> um, the way in which desire objectifies and in that objectification um, creates something separate. Uh, Maybe even some sense of competition or scarcity in our being. Um, These contradictions uh, that arise for us In, in how, in, in this Western context of being, how, how do we identify them? How do we attend to them? In the workshop today, I, w- I was telling the participants that a few years ago I was in India and visiting a Zen student there. And we had dinner, we had lunch at... Um, a hotel owned by one of the Dharma students. And after lunch, he said to me, well, I have a naked sadhu who lives on the roof. Would you like to visit him? And I thought, only in India would a fancy hotel have a naked sadhu living on the roof. And it did, we, go, we did go visit the naked sadhu, and there he was, living on the roof. Uh, and how wonderful in that wonderful mix of, you know, a fancy hotel and this ancient tradition of the mendicant uh, just coexisting. What will we bring to coexist in our environment? What have we already brought to coexistence? in the path to wholeness, in the path to skillfully integrating the attributes, the complexities of our human life in this environment. 
you know, one of the articles I put out was from a book by a philosophy professor, Jacob Needleman, called Money and the Meaning of Life. And the book has a playful tone to it, the way the title does. And then in another way, he's trying to point towards, he's trying to poke, to, poke at, he's trying to bring a realization and awareness around money as maybe almost like the distillation of material being. No? The door of material being is thrown wide by access to cash. Um, is that so? Has that ever been so? No. Was it coincidence that the story of Shakyamuni had him living in a palace and climbing over the palace wall to get out? Not in, <laughs> but out. <laughs> and take up the life of the path to homeless. Um, what helps us be conscious of that dimension of our lives? If we were really doing it, would we all be naked saddles? Um, right in the lives we're living, how do we stay true to an awakened engagement with the material world? So Zen relishes the impossible question. Well, that question isn't difficult enough. Well, let me give you a more difficult one. <laughs> let me give you the question that presents you with a challenge that has no easy answer, that has no quick statement. Oh, you just do it like this. Hmm. This world, this life is interconnected. No. It abounds with difficulties and a thousand contradictions within us, singularly and collectively. Huh? How do we um, draw it into whole? Yeah. The, the, the image in the Torah, the uh, sacred Jewish text, is that the, 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 the sacred vessel is shattered and the practice is to bring it back to wholeness, to integrate. In some ways, similar to the Buddhist practice of realizing interconnectedness. And then part, some of the images I was offering within the, the retreat was that this integration has a variety of modalities. In, in the heritage of Zen, within the heritage of awareness, as, as we attend exactly and directly to the experience of the moment, 
attend to it, notice it, acknowledge it, contact it, experience it. And what happens when we experience? We become one with it. We integrate. We, we can truly and rightly say, Zazen is the practice of being part of what is. It's, it's that intimate and integration. Sometimes we get dramatic about it and say it's the great death. Other times we don't get so dramatic. So there's this, this, what we might call the practice of momentary phenomena, the exactness of that kind of attention, that kind of opening, that kind of integrating. And then there is the, the other aspects of our life. Money, the material world being one, and as Maslow points at, these different uh, needs yeah, of our human existence. Yeah. Each of them fraught with the potential for contradiction. Yeah. I love you, but I get intensely annoyed when you do that. I just heard on the news a couple of days ago where someone had someone who's wealthy had offered to build 200 odd low-income housing units. And they were interviewing someone who was essentially saying, you know, it's a great idea, but you know, I preferred it didn't happen, you know, in proximity to uh, where I live. contradictions of our being, the dilemmas, and in this curious way in which Zen is saying, don't take the contradictions, the dilemmas, the challenges as a slight, as a failing, as a hindrance. No, these contradictions are making a request. They're asking us, what is it to get to the heart of the matter? What is it to go beyond what your mind might conceive of as the solution, the fix? How do we let the challenges of a human life um, rather than pull us up into agitation, distress, disappointment, disillusionment, disconnection? How can the challenges of a human life invite us down? What really matters? 
when I die, I want to say. I want to say I had the latest model car. I want to say I held that grudge to my last breath. I want to say um, I competed with my co-workers unrelentingly. seem to be the bond, the strongest bond I have with my cat. satisfies all my Maslow needs, but, but more that I can accept the invitation into greater being. 
and I can accept that invitation, I can engage it, not because I have eliminated, as Roque says, the thousand contradictions, but because in the versatility of engagement, they are integrated. You know, Dogen Zenji, the, the finder of this kind of Zen in Japan, he placed great emphasis on a practice that he called in Japanese, Jiji Uzamai. Engaging the self to learn about the self. We engage the contradictions that we conjure up to learn about what it is to be human. I want to say about this life. I have the aspiration, the intention, the motivation. And still what comes with it is the upwelling of my conditioning. The conditioning of my physiological being, the way I have embodied my negative experiences and hold a sense of contraction. My mental uh, patterns, my emotional patterns. And as they manifest, what is it to notice, acknowledge, contact, and experience. What is it to do that when I'm at work? What is it to do that in my familial and significant relationships? What is it to do that when I meet someone lying on the street? city center, um, there's a person who's been turning up on our doorstep for over a decade. Uh, in some ways, a sincere practitioner, and then along with that, um, addicted to methamphetamine. His life starts to come together, and then he falls into addiction, and his life breaks apart. Being the good people that we are, we thought, let's get him into a recovery program. Let's really work with him and fix this. Not in, in a kind of harsh or, you know, superior way, but just, hey, how can we not? make that kind of effort, because we care. And it didn't work. Should we resent that he still turns up on our doorstep? Um, should we 
demand incessantly that he does things our way. We can contract, we can separate. We can also despair. Oh, I'm not good enough. If I was a good enough person, I would create the acceptable outcome. Can we get in touch with this fierce teaching of a human life? In its singularity and in its collective existence. Um, It unfolds the way it unfolds. And as it does, it challenges us to keep rediscovering Life is more than what I think it is. Life is more than what I want it to be. It's fiercer. It's more beautiful. It's more creative. It's wilder. And it offers participation in that fierce, wild, beautiful being. It offers us, as humans, with our extraordinary repertoire of contradictory behaviors, it offers us the Dharma gate to greater being. And Dogen Zenji says, this involvement, this Jiju Yozamai, is the central activity of our practice. And Suzuki Roshi said, here in the United States, we will rediscover, we will recreate. Doesn't mean we will ignore. No, no, not at all. We're still completely practicing Shakyamuni's way. Because his way is the heart of the human way. His way is the path of wholesomeness. His way is the path of wholeness. How will it unfold here? Hmm. This is our impossible challenge. And the great thing about having an impossible challenge is um, you don't have to lie awake at night thinking, will I get it all right? You won't. (laughs) You can relax. (laughs) You're not going to get it all right. Um, and you don't have to fantasize will it all be perfect tomorrow? no 
maybe for brief moments, <laughs> depending upon which direction you're looking. Um, so we enter a naked involvement with being alive. Maybe we keep our clothes on while we're doing it. <coughs> once in, in our tradition, we, we have one-on-one -on -one interviews, and once someone came in, and as he came in the door, he started taking off his clothes, and he took them all off, and put them in a neat pile by the door, and sat down completely naked. And I said to him, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, being completely open to a human life, unfortunately, is not as easy as just simply taking the clothes off. So what is it? invite the world in, to enter right into the world. In its fierce being. And let it be a process of awakening. This is um, this is what was in Suzuki Roshi's heart when he came the United States. And since he died before I came to Zen Center, that's a pretty interesting statement to make. Um, but I'll make it anyway. And this is in Bodhidharma's heart when he came to China. In Shakyamuni's heart when he climbed over the palace wall and entered the forest. And so now at Tassahara in the summer, we offer retreats. Mm. The current expression, one of the current expressions of the Buddha way. Thank you very much.